0: Chapter Twenty One Part A of Travels in West Africa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Travels in West Africa by Mary H. Kingsley. Chapter Twenty One Trade and Labour in West Africa. Part A as I am under the impression that the trade of the West African coast is its most important attribute, I hope I may be pardoned for entering into this subject. My chief excuse for so doing lies in the fact that independent travellers are rare in the Bites. The last one I remember hearing of was that unfortunate gentleman who went to the coast for pleasure and lost a leg on Lagos Bar. Now I have not lost any portion of my anatomy anywhere on the coast, and therefore have no personal prejudice against the place. I hold a brief for no party, and I beg the more experienced old coaster to remember that a looker-on sees the most of the game. First of all, it should be remembered that Africa does not possess ready-made riches, to the extent it is, in many quarters, regarded as possessing. It is not an Indian filled with the accumulated riches of ages, waiting for the adventurer to enter and shake the pagoda tree. The pagoda tree in Africa only grows over stores of buried ivory, and even then it is a stunted specimen to that which grew over the treasure-houses of Delhi, Seringapatam, and hundreds of others as rich as they in gems and gold. Africa has lots of stuff in it, structurally, more than any other continent in the world, but it is very much in the structure, and it requires hard work to get it out, particularly out of one of its richest regions, the west coast, where the gold, silver, copper, lead, and petroleum lie protected against the miner by African fever in its deadliest form and the produce prepared by the natives for the trader is equally fever-guarded, and requires white men of a particular type to work and export it successfully, men endowed with great luck, pluck, patience, and tact. The first things to be considered are the natural resources of the country. This subject may be divided into two subsections, one, the means of working these resources as they at present stand, 2. the question of the possibility of increasing them by introducing new materials of trade value in the shape of tea, coffee, cocoa, etc. With regard to the first subdivision, the most cheerful things that there are to say on the West Coast trade can be said, the means of transport being ahead of the trade in all districts save the Gold Coast. I know this is heresy so i will attempt to explain the matter first as regards communication to europe by sea the west coast is extremely well off the two english lines of steamers managed by messrs elder dempster the british african and the royal african are most enterprisingly conducted and their devotion to trade is absolutely pathetic let there be but the least vague rumour Sometimes, I have thought, they have not waited for the rumour, but, gone in as an experiment, of a puncheon of oil, or a log of timber waiting for shipment at an out-of-the-world, one-house port, one of these vessels will bear down on that port, and have that cargo. In addition to the English lines, there is the Warman line, equally devoted to cargo, I may almost say, even more so, for it is currently reported that warman liners will lie off and wait for the stuff to grow this i will not vouch for but i know the time allowed to a warman captain by his owners between the cameroons and big batanga just round the corner is eight days these english and german lines having come to a friendly understanding regarding freights work the bites of benin biafra and panavia without any rivals save now and again the vessels chartered by the African association to bring out a big cargo, and the four sailing vessels belonging to the association which give an eighteenth-century look to the rivers, and have great adventures on the bars of Opobo and Bonny. The Bristol ships on the half-jack coast are not rivals, but a sort of floating factories shipping their stuff home and getting it out by the regular lines of steamers the English and German liners, therefore, carry the bulk of the trade from the whole coast. Their services are complicated and frequent, but perfectly simple when you have grasped the fact that the English lines may be divided into two subdivisions, Liverpool boats and Hamburg boats, either of which are liable when occasion demands to call at Havre. The Liverpool line is the mail line to the more important ports the hamburg line being almost entirely composed of cargo vessels calling at the smaller ports as well as the larger there is another classification that must be grasped the english boats being divided into firstly a line having its terminus at sierra leone and calling at the isles de los secondly a line having its terminus at acasa thirdly a line having its terminus at old Calabar fourthly a line having its terminus at san paul de luanda and in addition a direct line from antwerp to the congo charted by the congo free state government division four the south-westers are the quickest vessels as far as lagos for they only call at the Canaries, sierra leone off the Kru coast at Accra, and off lagos then they run straight from lagos into cameroons without touching the rivers Reaching Cameroons in twenty-seven days from Liverpool after Cameroons, they cross to Fernanda Po and run into Victoria, and then work their way steadily down coast to their destination, thence up again, doing all they know to extract cargo, but never succeeding as they would wish, and so being hungry in the hold when they get back to the Bight of Benin, they are liable to smell cargo and go in after it, and therefore are not necessarily the quickest boats home two french companies run to the french possessions subsidized by their government as the german line is and as our lines are not the charger Rouni and the Frasine. the southwest coast liners of these companies run to gaboon and then to kutunu up near lagos then back to gaboon and down as far as luango calling on their way home at the other ports in congo francaise they are mainly carriers of import goods because they run to time and on the south-west coast unless time has an ameliorating touch of eternity in it you cannot get export goods off below the congo the rivals of the english and german lines are the vessels of the portuguese line Empresa nacional these run from lisbon to the cape verde islands thence to san tome and principe then to the ports of angola loanda Mosamides, Ambrizet, etc., and they carry the bulk of the Angola trade at present because of the preferential dues on goods shipped in Portuguese bottoms. The service of English vessels to the west coast is weekly, to the rivers fortnightly, to the south-west coast monthly, and it is the chief thing in west-coast trade enterprise that England has to be proud of any one of the english boats will go anywhere that mortal boat can go and their captain's local knowledge is a thing england at large should be proud of and the rest of the civilized world regard with awe-stricken admiration that they leave no room for further development of ocean carriage has been several times demonstrated by the collapse of lines that have attempted to rival them the prince line and more recently the general steam navigation "'But, although the West Coast trader has at his disposal these vessels, he has by no means an easy time, or cheap methods, of getting his stuff on board, save at Sierra Leone and in the oil rivers. Of the Gold Coast Surf and Lagos Bar I have already spoken. And the Kalema, as we call the South West Coast Surf, is nearly, if not quite as bad, as that on the Gold Coast.' Indeed, I hold it is worse, but then I have had more experience of it, and it has frequently to be worked in native dugouts, outs and not in the well-made surf-boats used on the Gold Coast. But although these surf-boats are more safe, they are also more expensive than canoes, as a fine forty-pounds or sixty-pound surf-boats' average duration of life is only two years in the Gold Coast surf, so there is little to choose from a commercial standpoint between the two serfs when all is done. As regards interior transport, the difficulty is greater, but in the majority of the west coast possessions of European powers, there exist great facilities for transport in the network of waterways, near the coast and the great rivers running far into the interior. These waterways are utilized by the natives, being virtually roads. In many districts, practically the only roads existing for the transport of goods in bulk or in the present state of the trade required to exist. But there is room for more wide enterprise in the matter of river navigation, and my own opinion is that if English capital were to be employed in the direction of a small, suitably built river steamers, it would be found more repaying than lines of railway. Waterways that might be developed in this manner exist in the Cross River, The Volta and the Ancobra. I do not say that there will be any immediate dividend on these river steamboat lines, but I do not think that there will be any dividend, immediate or remote, on railways in West Africa. This question of transport is at present regarded as a burning one throughout the continent, and for the well-being of certain parts of the West Coast railways are essential, such as at Lagos and on the Gold Coast. Of Lagos I do not pretend to speak, I have never been ashore there. Of the Gold Coast I have seen a little and heard a great deal more, and I think I may safely say that railway-making would not be difficult on it, for it is a good hard land, not stretches of rotten swamp. The great difficulty in making railroads here will consist in landing the material through the surf. This difficulty cannot be got over except at enormous expense, by making piers, but it might be surmounted by sending the plant ashore on small bar-boats that could get up the Volta, or Ancobra. When up the Volta, it may be said, it would be nowhere when any one wanted it, but the cast-iron idea that goods must go ashore at places where there are government headquarters like Accra and Cape Coast, places where the surf is about at its worst, seems to me an erroneous one. The landing-place at Cape Coast might be made safe and easy by the expenditure of a few thousands in developing that rock which at present gives shelter when you get round the lee side of it, but this would only make things safer for surf-boats. No other craft could work this bit of beach, and there is plenty of room for developing the volta, as it is a waterway which a vessel drawing six feet can ascend fifty miles from July till November and thirty miles during the rest of the year. The worst point about the Volta is the badness of its bar, a great semicircular sweep with heavy breakers. Too bad a bar for boats to cross, but a steamer on the Lagos bar-boat Plan might manage it, as the Bullfrog reported in 1884, nineteen to twenty-one feet on it, one hour before high water the absence of this bar-boat and the impossibility of sending goods out in surf-boats across the bar causes the goods from ada riverside the chief town on the volta situated about six miles up the river from its mouth to be carried across a spit of land to Beach town and then brought out through the shore surf the worst bit of surf on the whole gold coast the ancobra is a river which penetrates the interior through a district very rich in gold and timber and more than suspected of containing petroleum it is from eighty to one hundred yards wide up as far as Acanco, and during the rains carries three and a half to four and a half fathoms and boats are taken up to tomento about forty miles from its mouth with goods to the Wasau gold mines but the bar of the ancobra is shallow only giving six feet although it is firm and settled not like that of the volta and lagos and the portuguese in the sixteenth century used to get up this river and work the country to a better profit than we do nowadays the other chief gold coast river the Bosum pra that enters the siachama is no use for navigation from the sea being obstructed with rock and rapids and its bar only carrying two feet but whether these rivers are used or not for the landing of railroad plant It is certain that the plant must be landed, and the railways made, for if ever a district required them, the gold coast does. It is to be hoped it will soon enter into the phase of construction, for it is a return to the trade, from which it draws its entire revenue, that the local government owes, and owes heavily, and if our new acquisition of Ashanti is to be developed, it must have a railway, bringing it in touch with the coast trade.' Not necessarily running into Kumasi, but near enough to Kumasi to enable goods to be sold at but a small advance on coast prices. It is an error easily fallen into to imagine that the natives in the interior are willing to give much higher prices than the sea coast natives for goods. Be it granted that they are compelled now to give, say, on an average, seventy-five per cent higher prices to the sea coast natives who at present act as middlemen between them and the white trader. But if the white trader goes into the interior, he has to face, first, the difficulty of getting his goods there safely, secondly, the opposition of the native traders who can and will drive him out of the market unless he is backed by easy and cheap means of transport. Take the case of Kumasi now, A merchant, let us say, wants to take up from the coast to Kumasi three thousand pounds worth of goods to trade with. To transport this he has to employ one thousand three hundred carriers at one shilling and three pence per day a head. The time taken is eight days there and eight days back, equals sixteen days which figures out at one thousand three hundred pounds without allowing for loss and damage. In order to buy produce with these goods that will cover this and all shipping expenses etc he would have to sell at a far higher figure in kumasi than he would on the sea-coast and the native traders would easily oust him from the market moreover so long as a district is in the hands of native traders there is no advance mate, and no development goes forward and it would be a grave error to allow this to take place at kumasi now that we have at last done what we should have done in eighteen seventy four and taken actual possession for kumasi is a grand position that if properly managed for a few years will become a great interior market attracting to itself the routes of interior trade it is now a great centre because of the oppression and usury which the kings of Ashanti have inflicted on all in their power, and which have caused Kumasi mainly to attract one form of trade viz. slaves, who are used in their constant human sacrifices, and for whom a higher price was procurable here than from the Mohammedan tribes to the north under French sway. And as for the other trade stuffs, they have naturally for years drained into the markets of the French Sudan, instead of through such a country as Ashanti, into the markets of the English Gold Coast. And so unless we run a railroad up to encourage the white traders to go inland, and make a market that will attract these trade routes into Kuma Sea, we shall be a few years hence singing out, What's the Good of Ashanti, and so forth, as is our foolish want, never realizing, That the west coast is not good unless it is made so by white effort the new regime on the gold coast is undoubtedly more active than the old more alive to the importance of pushing inland and so forth and a road is going to be made twenty-five feet wide all the way to kumasi and then beyond it which is an excellent thing in its way but it will not do much for trade because the pacification of the country and the greater security of personal property to the native which our rule will afford will aid him in bringing his goods to the coast but not so greatly aid our taking our goods inland for the carriers will require just as much for carrying goods along a road as they do for carrying goods along a bush path and rightly too for it is quite as heavy work for them and heavier as i know from my experience of the governmental road in cameroon in such a country as west africa there can be no doubt that a soft bush path with a thick coating of moss and leaves on it and shaded from the sun above by the interlacing branches is far and away better going than a hard sunny wide road this road will be valuable for military expeditions possibly but military expeditions are not everyday affairs on the gold coast and it cannot be of use for drought animals because of the horse sickness and set fly which occur as soon as you get into the forest, behind the littoral region, so it must not be regarded as an equivalent for steam transport, as it will only serve to bring down the little trickle of native trade, and possibly not increase that trickle much. The question of transport, of course, is not confined to the Gold Coast below lagos there is a great river system towards which the trade slowly drains through native hands to the white man's factories on the river banks but this trade being in the hands of native traders is not a fraction of what it would become in the hands of white men and any mineral wealth there may be in the heavily forested stretches of country remains unworked and unknown the difficulty of transport here greatly hampers the exploitation of the timber wealth it being utterly useless for the natives to fell even a fine tree, unless it is so close to a waterway that it can be floated down to the factory. This is it which causes the ebony, bar, and cam wood to be cut up by them into small billets which a man can carry. The French and Germans are both now following the plan of getting as far as possible into the interior by the waterways, and then constructing railways. The construction of these railways is fairly easy, as regards gradients and absence of dense forest when your waterway takes you up to the great park-like plateau-lands which extend, as a general rule behind the forest belt, and the inevitable mountain range. The most important of these railways will be that of Monsieur de Braza of the Sanga Valley, in the direction of the Chad. When this railway is constructed it will be the death of the cameroon and oil river trade more particularly of the latter for in the cameroons the germans have broken down the monopoly of the coast tribes which we in our possession under the niger coast protectorate have not the niger company has broken through and taken full possession of a great interior doing a bit of work of which every englishman should feel proud for it is the only thing in west africa that places us on a level with the French and Germans in courage and enterprise in penetrating the interior, and fortunately the regions taken over by the company are rich, and not like the Senegal made of sand and savage savages. Where in West Africa, outside the company, will you find men worthy, as explorers, to be named in the same breath, with De Braza, Captain Binger, and Zint some day i fear when it will be too late we shall realize the foolishness of sticking down the sea-coast tidying up our settlements establishing schools and drains, and we shall find our possessions in the rivers and along the gold coast valueless particularly in the rivers for the trade will surely drain towards the markets along the line of the french railroad behind them for the middlemen tribe that we foster exact a toll of seventy-five per cent on the trade that comes through their hands and the english government is showing great signs of an inclination to impose such duties on the only stuff the native cares much for alcohol that he will take his goods to the market where he can get his alcohol even if he pays a toll to these markets of fifty per cent but of these i will speak later and we will return to the question of transport Mr. Scott Elliot, speaking on this subject as regarding East African regions, has given us a most interesting contribution based on his personal experience and official figures. As many of his observations and figures are equally applicable to the West Coast, I hope I may be forgiven for quoting him. His criticism is in favour of the utilisation of every mile of waterway available. He says, regarding the Victoria Nyadza, that it is possible to place on it a steamer at the cost of twelve thousand six hundred and seventy seven pounds taking the cost of maintenance fuel and working expenses at one thousand two hundred pounds a year a large estimate a capital expenditure of fifty three thousand pounds 13,000 pounds for the steamer and 40,000 pounds to yield 3% interest would enable the steamer to convey, say, 30 tons at the rate of 5 to 10 miles an hour for 1,600 pounds a year. This makes it possible to convey a ton at the rate of a half penny a mile, while it would require about 53,000 pounds to build a railway only 18 miles long. The Congo Free State Railway, I am informed, has cost at a rate per mile something like eight times this. Further on, Mr. Elliot says, in America the surplus population of Europe and the markets in the eastern states have made railway development profitable on the whole, but in Africa, until pioneer work has been done, and the prospects of colonization and plantation are sufficiently definite and settled to induce colonists to go out in considerable numbers, it will be ruinous to build a long railway line. I do not quote these figures to discourage the West Coaster from his railway, but only to induce him to get his government to make it in the proper direction, namely, into the interior, where further development of trade is possible. Judging from other things in English colonies, I should expect if left to the spirit of English West Coast Enterprise, it would run in a line that would enable the engine drivers to keep an eye on the Atlantic Ocean instead of the direction in which it is high time our eyes should be turned. I confess I am not an enthusiast on civilizing the African. My idea is that the French method of dealing with Africa is the best at present, Get as much of the continent as possible down on the map as yours, make your flag wherever you go a sacred thing to the native, a thing he dare not attack. Then, when you have done this, you may abandon the French plan and gradually develop the trade in an English manner, but not in the English manner à la Sierra Leone, but do your pioneer work first. There is a very excellent substratum for English pioneer work on our coasts in the trading community for trade is the great key to the African's heart, and everywhere the English trader and his goods stand high in West African esteem. This pioneer work must be undertaken, or subsidized, by the government as it has been in the French possessions, for the West Coast does not offer these inducements to the ordinary traveller that, let us say, East Africa with its magnificent herds of big game, or the northern frontier of India— With its mountains and its interesting forms relics and monuments of a high culture offer travel in west africa is very hard work and very unhealthy there are many men who would not hesitate for a moment to go there were the dangers of the native savagery the chief drawback but they hesitate before a trip which means in all probability month after month of tramping through wet gloomy forests with a swamp here and there for change and which will, the chances are one hundred to one, end in their dying ignominiously of fever in some wretched, squalid village. Reckless expenditure of money in attempts to open up the countries to be deprecated, for this hampers its future terribly, even if attended with partial success, the mortgage being too heavy for the estate, as the Congo Free State finances show and if it is attended with failure it discourages further efforts. What we want at present in West Africa are three or four bingers and zincrafts to extend our possessions northwards, eastwards, and south-eastwards, until they command the interior trade routes, and there is no reason that these men should enter from the West Coast, getting themselves killed or half-killed with fever before they reach their work. Uganda, if half one hears of it is true, would be a very suitable base for them to start from, and then travelling west they might come down to the present limit of our west coast possessions. This belt of territory, across the continent, would give us control of, and place us in touch with, the whole of the interior trade, a belt from north to south in Africa, thanks to our supineness and folly we can now never have.' I will now briefly deal with a second subdivision I spoke of some pages back—the possibility of introducing new trade exports by means of cultivating plantations. The soil of West Africa is extremely rich in places, but by no means so in all, for vast tracts of it are mangrove swamps, and other vast tracts of it are miserably poor, sour, sandy clay. It is impossible in the place at my disposal to enter into a full description of the localities where these unprofitable districts occur, but you will find them here and there all along the coast, after leaving Sierra Leone. The sour clay seems to be new soil recently promoted into the mainland from dried-up mangrove swamps, and a good rough rule is do not start a plantation on soil that is not growing hardwood forest considerable areas on the Gold Coast, even though the soil is good, are now useless for cultivation, on account of their having been deforested by the natives' wasteful way of making their farms, coupled with a hamatan and the long dry season. The regions of richest soil are not in our possessions, but in those of Germany, France, Spain and Portugal, namely the Cameroons, and its volcanic island series, Fernando Po, Principe, and Santo Me. The rich volcanic earths of this place will enable them to compete in the matter of plantations with any part of the known world. Cameroons is undoubtedly the best of these, because of its superior river supply, and although not in the region of the double seasons, it is just on the northern limit of them, and the height of the peak thirteen thousand, seven hundred and sixty feet, condenses the water-laden air from its surrounding swamps and the Atlantic, so that rain is pretty frequent throughout the year. When, within the region of the double seasons, just south of Cameroons, you have a rainfall no heavier than that of the rivers, yet better distributed, an essential point for the prosperity of such plantations, as those of tea and tobacco which require showers once a month, to the north of Cameroons there is no prospect of either of these well-paying articles being produced in a quantity or quality that would compete with South America, India, or the Malayan regions, and they will have to depend in the matter of plantations on coffee and cacao. Below Cameroons, Congo-Francaise possesses the richest soil and an excellently arranged climate. The lower Congo soil is bad and poor close to the river. Kakongo, the bit of Portuguese territory to the north of the Congo banks, and that part of Angola as far as the river Bingo, are pretty much the same make of country as Congo-Francais, only heavily forested. The whole of Angola is an immensely rich region, save just round Luanda, where the land is sand-logged for about fifty square miles and those regions to the extreme south and south-east, which are in the Kalahari desert regions. Coffee grows wild throughout Angola, in those districts removed from the dry coast-lands, in the districts of Colongo Alto and Pasengo, in great profusion, and you can go through utterly uncultivated stretches of it, thirty miles of it at a time. The natives, now the merchants, have taught them its value, are collecting this wild berry and bringing it in, in quantities, and in addition the English firm of Newton and Carnegie have started plantations up at Casengo. The greater part of these plantations consist of clearing and taking care of the wild coffee, but in addition regularly planting and cultivating young trees, as it is found that the yield per tree is immensely increased by cultivation. 600 to 800 bags a month were shipped from Amprizette alone when I was there in 1893, and the amount has since increased and will still further increase when that leisurely but very worthy little railroad line, which proudly calls itself the Royal Trans-African, shall have got its sections made up into the coffee district. It was about thirty miles off at Ambaka when I was in Angola, but by now it may have got further. However— I do not think it is very likely to have gone far and I have a persuasion that that railroad will not become trans-African in my day still it has an immediate future compared with that which any other west coast railway can expect for besides the coffee angola is rich in malachite and gum of high quality and its superior government will attract the rubber from the kasai region of the Congo free state In our own possessions, the making of plantations is being carried on with much energy by Messrs. Miller brothers on the Gold Coast, by several private capitalists, including Mr. A. L. Jones of Liverpool at Lagos, by the Royal Niger Company in their territory, and by several head agents in the Niger Coast Protectorate. Sir Claude MacDonald offered every inducement to this trade development, and gave great material help by founding a botanical station at Old Calabar where plants could be obtained. He did his utmost to try and get the natives to embark on plantation-making, ably seconded by Mr. Billington, the botanist in charge of the botanical station, who wrote an essay in epic on coffee growing and cultivation at large, for their special help and guidance. A few chiefs to oblige took coffee plants, but they are not enthusiastic, for the slaves that would be required to tend coffee and keep it clean in this vigorous forest region are more profitably employed now in preparing palm oil. Of the coffee plantation at Manowar Bay I have already spoken and of those in congo francais which although not at present shipping like the german plantation will soon be doing so in addition to coffee and cacao attempts are being made in congo francais to introduce the para rubber tree a large plantation of which i frequently visited near libreville and found to be doing well this would be an excellent tree to plant in among coffee for it is very clean and tidy and seems as if it would take to west africa like a duck to water, but it is not a quick cropper, and I am informed must be left at least three or four years before it is tapped at all, so, as the gardening books would say, it should be planted early. It is very possible many other trees producing tropical products valuable in commerce might be introduced successfully into West Africa, The cultivation of cloves and nutmegs would repay here well, for allied species of trees and shrubs are indigenous, but the first of these trees takes a long time before coming into bearing, and the cultivation of the second is a speculative affair. Allspice I have found growing wild in several districts, but in no large quantity. Cotton with a fine long staple grows wild in quantities wherever there is open ground, but it is not cultivated by the natives, and when attempts have been made to get them to collect it they do so, but bring it in very dirty, and the traders, having no machinery to compress it like that used in America, it does not pay to ship. Indigo is common everywhere along the coast, and used by the natives for dyeing, as is also a teasel, which gives a very fine peppermint maroon, and besides these there are many other dyes and drugs used by them colosynth, tatura-soap-bark, cardamom, ginger, peppers, strafansas, nox vomica, etc., etc. But the difficulty of getting these things brought in to the traders in sufficient quantities prevents their being exported to any considerable extent. Tea has not been tried, and is barely worth trying, though there is little doubt it would grow in Cameroons and Congo-Francais where it would have an excellent climate, and pretty nearly any elevation it liked. But I believe tea has of late been discovered to be like coffee, not such a stickler for elevation as it used to be thought, merely requiring not to have its roots in standing water. Vanilla grows with great luxuriance in Cameroons. In Victoria a grove of gigantic cacao trees is heavily overgrown with this lovely orchid in a most perfect way. It does not seem to injure the cacaos in the least, and there are other kinds of trees it will take equally well too. I saw it growing happily and luxuriantly under the direction of the Roman Catholic mission at Landana, but it requires a continuously damp climate. Vanilla, when once started, gives little or no trouble, and its pods do not require any very careful manipulation before sending to Europe, and this is a very important point, For a great hindrance, the great hindrance to plantation enterprise on the coast, is the difficulty of getting neat-handed labourers. I had once the pleasure of meeting a Dutch gentleman, a plantation expert who had been sent down the west coast by a firm trading there, and also in the Malay archipelago prospecting at a heavy fee, to see whether it would pay the firm to open up plantations there better than in Malaysia. I believe his final judgment was adverse to the West African plan, because of the difficulty of getting skilful natives to tend young plants and prepare the products. Tea he regarded as quite hopeless from this difficulty, and he said he did not think you would ever get Africans at as cheap a rate, or so deftly fingered to roll tea as you can get Asiatics. No one knows until they have tried it, the trouble it is to get an African to do things carefully. But it is a trouble, not an impossibility. If you don't go off with fever from sheer worry and vexation, the thing can be done. But in the meantime he is maddening. I have had many a day's work on plantations, instructing, cheerful, willing, apparently intelligent Ethiopians of various sexes and sizes on the mortal crime of hoeing up young coffee plants. They have quite seen it. Or lor, Massa, I no fit to do them thing.' "'Aren't they? You go along tomorrow morning, and you'll find your most promising pupils laying around them with their hose, talking about the disgraceful way their dearest friends go on, and destroying young coffee right and left. They are just as bad, if not slightly worse, particularly the ladies, when it comes to picking coffee. As soon as your eye is off them, the bow is off the tree.' I know one planter who leads the life of the surprise captain in W. H. S. Gilbert's Ballard, lurking among his groves, and suddenly appearing among his pickers. This, he says, has given them a feeling of uncertainty as to when and where he may appear, casengo and all, that has done much to preserve his plantation, but it is a wearying life not what he expected from his book on coffee plantations, which had a frontispiece depicting a planter seated in his veranda with a tumbler full of something cool at his right hand and a pipe in his mouth contemplating a large plantation full of industrious natives picking berries into baskets on all sides labour the labour problem is one that must be studied and solved before west africa can advance much further than its present culture condition because the climate is such that the country cannot be worked by white laborers and that this state of affairs will remain as it is until some true specific is discovered for malaria something important happens to the angle of the earth's axis or some radical change takes place in the nature of the sun is the opinion of all acquainted with the region the west african climate shows no signs of improving whatsoever if it shows any sign of alteration it is for the worse For of late years two extremely deadly forms of fever have come into notice here—malarial typhoid and black water. The malarial typhoid seems confined to districts where a good deal of European attention has been given to drainage systems, which is in itself discouraging. The labor problem has been imported with European civilization. The civilization has not got on to any considerable extent— but the labour problem has for being a malignant nuisance. It has taken to West Africa as a duck to water, and it is now flourishing. It has not yet, however, attained its zenith. It is just waiting for the abolition of domestic slavery for that, and then. Meanwhile it grows with the demand for hands to carry on plantation work and public works. On the West Coast, that is to say, from Sierra Leone to Cameroon, it is worse than on the Southwest coast, from Cameroon to Benguela. The Kruman, the Accra, and the Sierra Leonian are at present on the West Coast. The only solution available. The first is as fine a ship and beachman as you could reasonably wish for, but no good for plantation work. The second is thanks to the practical training he has received from the Basil Mission. A very fair artisan, cook, or clerk, but also no good for plantation work, except as an overseer. The third is a poor artisan, an excellent clerk or subordinate official, but so unreliable in the matter of honesty as to be nearly reliable to swindle any employer. Lagos turns out a large quantity of educated natives, but owing to the growing prosperity of the colony, these are nearly all engaged in Lagos itself. An important but somewhat neglected factor in the problem is the nature of the West African native, and as I think a calm and unbiased study of this factor would give us the satisfactory solution to the problem, I venture to give my own observations on it. The Kuru boys, as the natives of the Grain Coast, are called, irrespective of the age of the individual, by the white men. The Menekusi, as the call them, are the most important people of West Africa, for without their help the working of the coast would cost more lives than it already does, and would be in fact practically impossible. Ever since vessels have regularly frequented the Bites, the crewman has had the helpful habit of shipping himself off on board and doing all the heavy work. Their first tutors were the slavers, who initiated them into the habit, and instructed them in ship's work that they might have the benefit of their services in working their vessels along the slave coast. And in order to prevent any crew-boy being carried off as a slave by mistake, which would have prejudiced these useful allies, the slavers persuaded them, always, to tattoo a band of basket-work pattern down their foreheads, and out on to the tip of their broad noses, This is the most extensive bit of real tattoo that I know of in West Africa, and the crew-boys still keep the fashion. Their next tutors were the traders who have taught and still teach them beach work, how to handle cargo, try oil, and make themselves generally useful in a factory, learn sense, as the crew-boy himself puts it. To religious teaching, the crew-boy seems for an African singularly impervious, but two lessons he has learnt ship and shore-work, are the best that the white has so far taught the black, because unattended with the evil consequences that have followed the other lessons. Unfortunately, the crewmen of the grain coast and the cabinda of the south-west coast are the only two tribes that have had the benefit of this kind of education, but there are many other tribes who, had circumstances led the trader and the slaver to turn their attention to them, would have done their tutors quite as much credit." but circumstances did not, and so nowadays, just as a hundred years ago you might get the boy to help you if you are going to do any work, missionary or mercantile, from Sierra Leone to Cameroon. Below Cameroon the boy does not like to go, except to the beach of an English or German house, for he has suffered much from the Congo Free State, and from Spaniards and Portuguese who have not respected his feelings in the matter of wanting to return every year, or every two years at the most, to his own country and his rooted aversion to agricultural work and carrying loads about the bush. The pay of the boy averages one pound a month. There are no modifications in the way in which this sum is reached. For example, some missionaries pay each man twenty pounds a year, but then he has had to find his own chop. Some southwest coast traders pay eight pounds a year, but they find their boys entirely and well in food and give them a cloth a week. End of part a, of chapter twenty one, Trade and Labour in West Africa. Read by Gende, of Bahatrek, dot com.